Hello and welcome to another edition of the Village's Daily Sun Sports Podcast. I'm senior writer Drew Schultry, joined today by specialty editor Jeff Shane. We're going to run down the weekend in golf for you. We've got a special guest as two-time major winner Fuzzy Zoller joins the program. And then we'll wrap it up with a recap of the Village's SC's UPSL debut from the weekend. But Jeff, we're just going to go ahead and jump right into this golf. I was told that Without this being a designated event, golf was going to get less exciting. But come Sunday afternoon, it was just as captivating as any of the events that we've had in the last few weeks. And that is what we get. The names may not be Jordan Speed. Well, actually, it was Jordan it Speed was Jordan in this Speed. particular yeah. case. But the main names may not be Scotty Scheffler or Roy McElroy. But you get compelling golf because even for guys like Adam Shank and Taylor Moore and Chad Ramey and some of these other guys... This is as big a deal for them because they're looking for their first PGA Tour win, or maybe they're looking for their second PGA Tour win because they want to validate that first win. And so the pressure ramps up. It was a chilly Sunday at the Copperhead course out in Tampa at Dennisbrook. And I think that had a lot to do with it. But then again, nerves, Adam Shank trying to win his first PGA Tour event, going wire to wire. He almost gets there, doesn't quite get there. Uh, Jordan Spieth, who has been up and down, and uh, that's kind of the way that Jordan Spieth is these days, is he's hot, he's cold, all of that. But uh, uh, Taylor Moore, coming from off the pace, was the guy to take the victory, and fans had the right scenario picked. They had a Dallas native who played a pretty steady game on Sunday. They just didn't have the right one. Yeah, I think pretty steady is about as good as you can give Jordan Spieth for that Sunday. Right up until, I think it was 16, he was looking great. I mean, just no no bogeys for the day. Uh, had played really, really well and was pretty solid throughout the weekend as well. And then he just gets to that 16th hole and it's water up the right. And he does the only thing that he can't do in that spot, which is put it in the water. And I mean, I don't know why, but it seems like Jordan Spieth just cannot play a final round without creating these problems for himself without getting into some sort of extra drama down the stretch. And you saw the way that Shank finished out. I mean, if he just plays this one into the fairway, he can go get a par on that hole. And he's probably, you know, in a playoff or maybe even winning that tournament outright if he can just avoid the biggest mistake of the day right there. And that's the pressure that we talked about ramps up when you're looking for that first victory. And again, for Jordan Spieth, it's not, but he's gone through a really long dry spell. He is a different player now than he was when he was that fearless 19 year old, just coming out on tour. Fearless goes away at some point in your career after you've acquired enough scar tissue. And I think that's where we are with Jordan is that he plays great for long stretches of holes. He played solid, he called it boring golf for 15 holes and had a real chance to win. And then all of a sudden that little gremlin comes up and he hits the worst shot of the day, probably one of only two bad shots he hits all day. And it costs him dearly. Adam Shank, again, you're now you're standing on the 18th team. You're thinking, I got a chance to win. Uh, this guy Moore has put the pressure on, but I just I need to execute. 
and the grip gets a little bit tighter and the swing gets a little bit quick and all of a sudden you're behind a tree forced to hit out a punch out left-handed to get to the fairway and from 101 yards you really don't have a great chance to save par yeah you said scar tissue i feel like jordan spieth could be endorsed by big scar tissue at this point if that was an industry so taylor moore second year guy Obviously, we've talked about the future scenarios for these non-designated events, what they're going to kind of do for guys in terms of ensuring them spots in the designated events, getting them opportunities to play the bigger tournaments, win more money. But with him winning the Valspar, what does it do for him this season before we get into all those format changes? Well, the first thing, and this is this is good regardless of the status of the event, and I think for young guys, it is the most important thing. Job security. Yes. I've got two more years on this tour and hopefully getting a chance to win another tournament and play for bigger money. And that, I think, is always the number one thing for a young player. If you don't have that first PGA Tour win, you don't care where it comes. It can come in Puerto Rico. It can come in the Dominican Republic. It can come at the Valspar. It's a win. You are on this tour for two more years. And and in this particular case, because it is a full event, not one of these opposite events like Puerto Rico, you get that automatic master's invitation. So now he's got some travel arrangements to make for Augusta National. And that's a event that you will hear from Fuzzy Zeller here in a few minutes. That's the one thing that is just cherished by any golfer that has a chance to drive down Magnolia Lane. And if this had happened next year, the victory would have gotten him into the rest of the season's designated events. It will still get him into a lot of bigger events because his status now goes from somewhere middle to bottom as a second-year PGA Tour player who just barely hung onto his card last year to PGA Tour winner. It gets you really any tournament you want to enter short of, say, the playoffs or something of that nature. And you can set your schedule. You don't have to wait to see if you're the second alternate or third alternate. There's a lot of benefit. If you just win one time on the PGA Tour, It does change your life because it changes your status. Even if you don't do anything else the rest of the career, there's a past champions category that can get you into a few events a year. Just want to mention how well he played three birdies in the back nine there. Also uh, made a nice save out of the bunker on 17 to keep himself ahead and then finished out 18 with a solid par. So great golf down the stretch from Taylor Moore. Obviously, we can't say quite the same for the other two, both Adam Shank and uh, Jordan Spieth putting themselves into into some pretty bad positions, but great job by Moore capitalizing on. And as those I always spots. say, the unfortunately named Adam Shank. Yeah. <laughs> if you are a, a golfer, tough that's a golf. tough golf. It's tough like name. having the last name Homer as a baseball pitcher <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's the same sort of thing there. The one other guy I want to talk about is uh, the guy who was you know sort of at the top of the conversation for a lot of the weekend was Tommy Fleetwood who for as long as he's been around the tour and he's got several top tens in majors, I don't think people quite realize, and maybe they do after this weekend because he spent so much time on the television screen, but he's never won a PGA tour event. And I'm curious to know, you know, as much success as he's had in Europe, I think is six or 10 wins or something like that on the DP world tour. He can't win stateside for some reason. He can't win a major. He can't win a PGA Tour event. Why do you think it is that Tommy Fleetwood's just not quite able to get over that hump? Well, I think, first of all, it 
was opportunity and the way he split his schedule. And I'm talking going back to 2015, 2016, 2017. And that was a lifetime ago in terms of the way the schedules are set up and, and the way the tours are organized. It was the European tour back there, not the DP World Tour. But his focus was on establishing himself on that tour. And so the wins come and then most players from that tour say, okay, now I want to step over and I want to play the PGA tour and I want to test myself against that group, that higher ranked group of players. And it's just very tough to do. The depth of field is so much different when you get to the PGA tour. It's strong on the DP world tour, but it probably stops at about two dozen players in any given event. And some events, if you're going to Macau, not to pick on Macau, and if you've ever uh, been to Macau, I'm sure it's a beautiful place, but the Macau Open is not going to have a great depth of field as opposed to, say, the Alfred Dunhill Championship over in England or Scotland. So I think that makes a difference. You can stack up some really nice wins on the DP World Tour and get your status sat over there, but then you come over to the PGA Tour, you're going up against McElroy, you're going up against Scheffler, you're going up against Spieth, Thomas, all of those guys. Wrong. You got to beat those guys, and it's it's definitely not easy. And Fleetwood has had some great rounds. He's been runner-up in U.S. Opens. He's been runner-up in a lot of big events. But is always one guy that has just always been better than him, and you've got to be able to get beyond that. In Tommy's case, too, he took a huge slump right after the pandemic. I think that part of it may have been not able to do a lot of practice work being based in the UK still and and some of the restrictions over there. And a lot of players have also, uh, also mentioned that during that time off, they just found it hard to get out of first gear again when the season restarted. And maybe that was more the case for some players that are based in cold weather and didn't have a chance to really get out, find a way to Florida, you know, and, and get some practice in. And so the rest of 2020 was horrible. 2021 was not very good. 2022 at the start was not very good. And now he's finally starting to get back into the groove. And that's why we saw him on the leaderboard at the players championship. That's why we saw him on the leaderboard at the Valspar. And I think that finally after three years and guys go through this and you don't even have to have a pandemic to go through this. Fleetwood has finally found that rhythm that he was in, in 2017, 2018, 2019. Well, hopefully he can maintain that. A guy that's fun to see on leaderboards. I'd like to see him in contention because I'd like to see him get a win. He's a guy who's been around, paid his dues. I feel like, you know, plays well and just always seems to wind up in a weird spot on Sunday. But hopefully Tommy Fleetwood can, you know, put something together this year. Certainly he wasn't the first yeah. uh, to go through that. I mean, think of Lee Westwood, who oh, yeah. uh, really struggled. He got a win early in his career. So it's not like he never won. But he really took a long time to get that second win. And so I, I lo- always think of him when I think about the situations of some of these DP World Tour members coming over. Yeah, speaking of going a long time without a win, 
the victor over on the Live Golf Tucson event, Danny Lee, had been about seven and a half years removed from his last victory and obviously made the jump to live more recently than that, but uh, outlasted a, a couple other guys in a playoff, four players going to a playoff for a championship over in Tucson. Jeff, what did we miss if Live wasn't on network TV in our market and relegated to the app instead? Well, it, it was on network TV. I actually saw it while flipping through to find the NCAA uh, basketball games. And so you could find, you could actually find it in, uh, if you had direct TV, you could find it on two stations. Well, it depends on what city you're in. Cause I know, I know in Detroit, it wasn't available in the in the Southeast Michigan market. And then over in Texas, I think they cut it off before the end of the round to go to Family Guy reruns. So they're, they're struggling with the TV that, deal over yeah, there at the CW. Yeah, that's sad when your playoff is preempted by Family Guy. Yeah. But uh, uh, they had a had a four-way playoff, and uh, uh, Danny Lee was in it with Carlos Ortiz, who has been one of the hotter golfers on LIV all the way back to mid-last season. Brendan Steele, a late jump to LIV, but he's playing well. And Louis Westheisen also uh, in that event. And uh, it went three extra holes. So you got a fair amount of bonus golf. And you you did get some recognizable names. And you got one major champion out of the bunch. But uh, Danny Lee, an emotional victory, actually, because he admitted that he had gotten to the point in his career, as good as an amateur player as he was, he really hit one of those walls like we just talked about when he jumped to the PGA Tour. He thought his winning days were over. And so for him to play well in his second LIV event, he actually played PGA Tour all the way through the Genesis Invitational and then jumped at the very last minute to get onto uh, one of the rosters, but uh, played well enough to get into that playoff outlasted uh, three guys who also have recognizable names. And uh, now he's a LIV golf winner and the paycheck was not bad. Four million dollars. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't suck too much. And then we've got a bunch coming up this week. Jeff, walk us through a busy weekend across the tours. Well, if your NCAA bracket is busted, as so many of them are, You can fill out a new bracket this week with golfers and the WGC match play is holding its final edition at Austin country club. And we'll see if it's the final edition period. I think it will be under the world golf championships banner because that's going away, but there has been talk about trying to put a match play event back on the tour schedule, perhaps in a different place in the schedule. I think it's in a really bad spot two weeks before the Masters, and we've talked about that in previous podcasts. Match play gives us a different look once a year, and I think a lot of people enjoy it. I think a lot of golfers enjoy it, and we all know how much we enjoy the Ryder Cup, and that's all match play. But uh, this one is uh, the final edition at Austin Country Club, 64-man bracket. A little different this year, though. Not so much in terms of the format, but because we had Justin Thomas and Justin Rose saying, we're not going to play this event. We're going to get ready for the Masters. And then you had nine golfers who are in that top 64 that could not enter the match play. Even though it's a World Golf Championships event, the host tour is the PGA Tour. And so all nine of those LIV golfers, including Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson and Patrick Reed, not 
in the bracket. So they had to go all the way down to number 77 in the world rankings. That's the second lowest in history for this event to fill out the field. Uh, Justin Suh, uh, who is a PGA Tour rookie, gets in at number 77. Not a bad option. He was in contention last week. We saw him saw him play some good golf just a week ago. And he played well in the uh, Genesis yep. as well. So uh, he is coming in on a little bit of a strong run. And Every pod, there are 16 of them, the top 16 seeds are scattered across them. And then it's kind of like the World Cup. You draw names out of buckets based on numbers 17 to 32, 33 through 48, etc. And so uh, sometimes the hot golfer is a lot better than the higher ranked golfer. And we see a lot of top seeds get knocked out now. We've always seen a lot of top seeds get knocked out. And I was at La Costa the day back in the uh, early 2000s where number one, Tiger Woods, number two, Phil Mickelson, and number three, Ernie Els were all eliminated within minutes <laughs> of each other. And it kind of made for a uh, uh, taking the air out of the rest of the tournament. Uh, at least now everybody stays for three days, but somebody is going to win these pods. And a lot of times you get the number 48 seed that come through, but uh, we'll get to see Scheffler and McElroy and John Rom. In fact, John Rom has maybe the best opening day matchup on Wednesday. He will play Ricky Fowler Ooh. in his opener over Ooh. in uh, uh, the number two pod or whatever, however they uh, designate this. But Rom is the number two seed. Ricky Fowler was drawn out of the bucket at number 49 for the last of those seeds. But uh, uh, and, and just kind of looking at that pod, Billy Horschel is in there as well. And he is a former match play champion. So you want to look at, uh, you know, somebody that can maybe win all of this. It might come out of that group right there if between Horschel and Rom, whoever is able to survive that. But uh, uh, plenty of brackets there. Like I say, if you want to fill out a bracket, enter the PGA Tours Bracket Challenge. They have that. Maybe you'll do better than you did with your basketball. <laughs> not, but, a, not a high bar to clear in my case. <laughs> well, for a lot of people, I suppose it wasn't a high bar. But uh, So you have that. There's also an opposite field event. We talked about that a little bit in general. But the Corrales Punta Cana Championship in the Dominican Republic is for everybody ranked 78 and below in the world rankings. And uh, Chad Ramey, who was the first-round leader, at TPC Sawgrass at the Players' Championship after a 64, he happens to be the defending champion here. Seeks to become the first back-to-back -back winner. Ramey finished T27 at Sawgrass, made the cut last week at Valspar, so he's playing reasonably well. A couple other former Punta Cana champions in the field in Joel Damon, who was the 2021 winner. Bryce Garnett goes back a few years, but uh, another chance for somebody to secure two years of PGA Tour membership and move up that FedEx Cup points list and possibly get into some higher events. It is not the marquee event this week, but for all of 144 players down there, it's huge. So we have that. And then the LPGA back on the course, on the course in the U.S., uh, they are playing the Drive-On Championship out at Superstition Mountain uh, east of Phoenix. Uh, that's a tournament, the Drive-On, that has bounced around. It never has a, a home. It was played in Ocala a couple of years ago. It was played in Fort Myers last year. Now it's in Arizona. Arizona had lost the uh, Founders Cup. And uh, they, the LPGA did not want uh, such a great market as Phoenix to go without 
their events. So the drive-on, which is kind of a used to fill some gaps in the schedule, that one wound up going from Fort Myers to Arizona. It's the first full field event of the LPGA season. Nelly Corda, uh, Jin Young Co., they headline the field. Leona McGuire is the defending champion, winning last year in Fort Myers. You'll also see Lexi Thompson, Brittany Lincecum, the rookie of the year last year, Ataya Titicool. And so a really good field for the first uh, full field event of the year. And a little note that ties to the villages. Superstition Mountain is the home course for Mina Harrigay, whose in-laws are villagers. Uh, they are the parents of Justin Creter, who is her caddy. They got married last week at Superstition Mountain. All right. Well, that is an interesting tidbit. And there we go. We don't localize, Jeff, you know, like we talk about <laughs> in our portfolio review sessions. That's great. Well, that'll do it for golf for this week. Obviously, a lot coming up. And then, you know, coming up after this next week, we'll really start talking about the Masters and stuff like that. But we actually start talking about the Masters this week. When you have a former Masters champion, visit the podcast. You kind of have to. We have our interview with Fuzzy Zoller coming up right after this. With 24 first-place decorations in the 2019 Florida Press Club Awards, the Village's Daily Sun brings first-class journalism to the nation's fastest-growing community every day. Stay informed with the nation's fastest-growing newspaper. Subscribe to the Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. Talking golf on the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. Jeff Shane with you again, and we would like to uh, welcome in special guest, He's been on the podcast before, and if my memory serves correctly, Fuzzy Zeller, you are the second person ever to be a repeat customer on the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. And uh, I know we had a great conversation uh, during the Villages Golf Festival a few years ago, and Villages Golf Festival is coming back this week to all of the country clubs around the Villages. Fuzzy, welcome back. To the yeah, thank you very much, Jeff. It's good talking to you again, buddy let's go back you know to to that uh golf now, festival minute, jeff remember now i'm getting older let's not go back too far <laughs> well hopefully years, just a couple maybe 54 that's all i'm going yeah okay go ahead. Go ahead. we had a chance to talk uh at the uh, golf festival a few years ago and it was i think your first time in the villages and being impressed with the uh, the crowds that turned out at the uh, polo fields and and all of that, and now that we're a few years beyond, and uh, you know, as things turned out, they had to change the format after the pandemic and everything. But Fuzzy, what do you remember most from your visit to the villages that time? Well, I didn't take a sober breath the whole time I was up there. That's all I remember. <laughs> no, no, I'll be honest with you, Jeff. Just uh, the whole day of being out there at the polo grounds, and Becker. Uh, what was that gentleman's name? Dan Beaver, I think. Who? Beamer, yeah, Beamer. Dan had, Beaver? Oh, my God. He pulled me out of there. Out of there and I, I hadn't played golf in a year. And trying to tell me to hit the balloons and I hit the cans. And that kind of shocked the hell out of me, to be honest with you. That was uh, not the, that easiest thing I've ever done in my life. But uh, I seemed to, I had the talent to pull it off. And that kind of, that's just the one thing I do remember. And you did you did it well, and I don't think unless until you just acknowledged it, everybody would have thought, well, you know, you swing a golf club every now and again, right? So, so that that never leaves you. But uh, it was a heck of a performance, and there was the guy with the golf glove that uh, uh, wound up maybe upstaging the two of you. Yeah, 
Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? But that, that was fun. And then all the golf equipment that they had, I mean, uh, people don't understand how lucky they were to have all those uh, manufacturers there to where they could go out and touch and, you know, hit golf balls and try new stuff. I mean, it was all, it was all first-class operation. It was run by very first-class people too. And that's what we will have again on Thursday and Friday out at uh, the various country clubs, especially the four that have driving ranges. Fuzzy, as you mentioned, all the manufacturers will be out there. They are scattered a little bit more, not in one place. Some are at Palmer Legends, some are at Lopez Legacy, some are at the, uh, uh, some are at the Sarasota practice facility. And of course, we also have Glenview Champions. So uh, take a look at the Daily Sun, figure out where your favorite manufacturer may be and make an appointment for a club fitting. Um, Fuzzy, you're not necessarily going to be at any of those, but you will be offering up Fuzzy's Vodka at Total Wine. What is your agenda for Golf Festival? Well, let's see. I'll be I'll be there for two days, Jeff. Jeff so, or, um... Yeah, from what they're telling me, it's right here. Look, can you see that? I can. Huh? Well, it's got to come back into focus. I wish uh, I wish they got a younger picture of me, but, you know, I, I guess age is all part of it. Uh, but I'll be, I'll be there at Total Wines for like two hours uh, bottle signing. Uh, hopefully everybody will come out if they need a, a signed bottle of the Fuzzy Vodka, the Ultra Premium. Uh, it's the best. It's the best stuff in the world. That's all I'm telling you. Not because my name's on it, but because I had a lot to do with uh, putting it all together. And it, it's kind of fun to watch it grow. I was going to ask um, I, a lot of people when they get into that, and I've I've talked with 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 Jan Stevenson and and some of those. It's a very personal uh, endeavor for you guys to make sure that uh, you're serving something that you yourself would enjoy having a, a sip. Or several. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, Jan's got her, uh, what is it? She's into the wine business. Uh, and she's done quite nicely with the wine business. Uh, and I wish her nothing but luck because I mean, it's it's hard to be alone, uh, alone bottle just to go out there and try to beat heads on the big boys. And I mean, there are some big boys out there in this league. Yes, there, there definitely are. Um, Fuzzy, I, well, we have Buzzy, we have expanded our golf portfolio since you were here last. And I, I have to ask this of people when, when I have a chance to get them on the show. But when I tell you that there are 747 holes of golf in the villages, what goes through your mind? That's more golf than I've played in 42 years on tour. <laughs> That's what goes through my my mind no you know what the villages is a unique uh, spot up there and it's uh the people that uh, come and move there all enjoy it so you know you've done the right thing up there and it's one of those where the demand as we continue to expand south uh, you can't seem to build golf holes fast enough we're at 747 we have another 18 hole golf course uh that is in the process of turning dirt and hopefully will be finished up in about a year maybe a little more than a year uh and i think it's hard to if unless you're here that to understand that there will be 800 holes of golf here in the next couple of years how many golf carts anybody counted the golf carts up there yet i i'm sure somebody in the villages 
has that number. I may mean, have to ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> I know they got they got a blue million of them, and it's great because you know instead of driving, you just jump in your golf cart and go. Uh, and I, I would assume. Now I know uh, probably can't get to all the golf holes uh, with, with the golf cart, but uh, I bet one day they'll have it. They'll have a monorail or something going over there to uh, all the golf different golf courses. I mean, or at least to the little town centers. I, I think that's another little unique little spot about uh, the villages. Yeah, definitely so. And uh, yeah, actually, uh, you know, if if the suggestion on the monorail gets back to the people in charge, you never know what they're possibly <laughs> going to put in. I tell you, that it would be the catch me out. It'd be the only place in America besides uh, the Mickey Mouse land down there just south of you uh, that would have the monorail. The, the Village's monorail. I kind of like that idea. Yeah. I'm not taking credit for it. No, I understand. I understand. And I don't want a finder's fee. That's all I can tell you. Okay. Okay. Very good. Um, Buzzy, when you, as you go around and, and you meet people and you're, you're uh, working with the, with the pitch and the vodka and all of that, obviously golf fans want to talk about so many moments that they have seen you, whether it's the masters, whether it's the U S open victory, which one is the one that may be, is the most asked? Well, that's which one's worth the most. You know what I mean? Everything comes down to money in our game. Uh, and I always tell the people, I said, you know, I was fortunate to, to win the Open. I should have won a PGA and I probably should have gotten the British Open in my career. But I didn't. I always got beat by one or two strokes. But I did win that green jacket. And I will tell you that green jacket is magical. Uh, still to this day, at 71 years old, I still reek rewards from that green jacket. And that was perhaps one of the rarest occasions that you can have to win a green jacket. You are still, not counting 1934 and 35, but you are still the only Masters rookie to walk away with a green jacket. And I did want to kind of ask you about it as we go into Masters season. We're just two weeks away from that. What? Would it take, and we've come close on a couple of occasions recently, Jordan Spieth finished second as a rookie, Will Zalatoris had a great run as a Masters rookie. What does it take for a rookie to put himself in that position? Well, that's just, you said it right on the head there, putting yourself in that position to win. Uh, it just, it, it blows my mind to think of all the talent that has gone down Magnolia Lane and have come out licking their wounds on the way out, Magnolia Lane. Uh, it is it is just a special place. You know, I'm one of the of three guys that have gone in there the first time and was able to pull a, the trick off. And uh, you know, I just I did everything right. I like I say, I just lost my caddy last what two weeks ago down at Augusta, Jeremiah Beard, but he led me around there and he told me where to miss. And before I even get to the green, he would tell me which way the brakes put and how fast they were. And so he kind of made me feel very, very comfortable. We had a, a great relationship. Uh, and like I say, I mean, he's going to be uh, one of those people that I miss. Uh, but it's it's a special joint. That's all I can yeah. do. It really is. For yeah. any, any golfer. 
Absolutely. And I would imagine you mentioned that, that, that Jerry uh, just passed on. So th- I'm going to guess this is the first Augusta week, Masters week, that, that you won't have a chance to cross paths with Jerry. And yeah. uh, Well, you know, I do. I do bottle signings down at Augusta during that week. Uh, and he'd always come over to one of the bottle signings. He'd be all decked out. You know what I mean? Typical Jerry. I mean, he just he was always a, a classy dresser and a classy person out. So. Uh, yeah, we're probably going. We're going to miss him, uh, but you know, we, the memories live on, as they say. Yeah, and I. And that kind of leads me to the next question as well: is of all the advice that he gave you, and there's a ton of advice to get. You know, I've had I've had the good fortune of playing in that day after the Masters media round a couple times, and boy, you learn real quick to listen to your Augusta caddy. But is there one or two instances where Jerry? actually gave you the most valuable <laughs> like every hole but i'll give you one i'll give you one on sunday the fit on the 15th hole we had a 20 mile an hour north breeze blowing right in our face and i hit a nice drive out there and uh, we got up there and jerry goes if we're going to win we got to go do you see water and i didn't see water I'm not gonna lie to you. He said, do you see water? I said, Jerry, I don't see water. I don't see anything. I can't see the damn green from back there. I had 237 yards into a 20 mile an hour north breeze blowing in my face. He goes, get on your tiptoes or step on my shoulders. And he said, look down there and see if you can see water. Okay, so I got on my tiptoes and I jumped a little bit and I could see just a little bit of water down there by the Saracen Bridge on the left. I said, all right, I saw water. He goes, we got to go. We got to go. Here's your three wood. Knock it on the green. <laughs> so that's what I did. Knocked it right in the middle of the green. I, thank God that's over with. I mean, that put the fear of God in you hitting ball over water 250 yards into the wind. Yeah, that was a good time. But that's that's kind of how Jerry and I got along, though. You know, if he told me to do it, well, we, we'd go do it. I wasn't scared. I didn't look back. So it was just time to bristle up. And do you have the guts to hit the golf shot? And that was a day, too, where you st- you started six shots, I think it was, behind Ed Sneed. And so you really kind of had to be aggressive or at least cautiously aggressive the entire day to make up those six shots, right? Well, that's true. I mean, you know, you, you only go around one time in your life. And how many times do you have the opportunity to, to win the greatest golf tournament in the world? So you got to take that chance. Who the hell cares if you screw up? Everybody in the world would love to be in your shoes making that decision. But as it turned out, I, I hit the great shot, uh, made my birdie, went on over to 16. And uh, yeah, Ed had a couple of flat tires coming in, which you don't wish on anyone. Right. Uh, any player, it just uh, that's how rude this game is that we play. You know, you had he had uh, what was there 70, 60 some odd guys pulling against him not to finish well because they like to see good close tournaments. But uh, you know, Ed, uh, Tom Watson and myself are standing there in the scoring tent when he missed his putt at eighteen, and I remember Watson turning around to me. He goes, "Come on, we got more golf to play." Because Again, we that was the first time they had ever done uh, the playoff immediately after. You know, usually you had to come back on Monday and play 18 holes. Yeah. But, so everything was a first for me. My first time being there, uh, first time winning, 
first time in a playoff with those guys. It was quite, it was fun. It was exciting. Yeah. And, and you won it uh, on the second extra hole, as I recall, right? It was a second, yeah, the 11th hole. They had a Which drive is... on eight iron and about four feet. I don't know. But right when I hit the second shot on 11, Jerry looked at me, he goes right center putt, just concentrating on speed, right center. You know, I mean, what a confidence builder that is to have a caddy that would tell you the line before I was still 151 yards away and he's telling me the line. So it was a great feeling. He was a good guy to have on the bank. Yeah. Is that something maybe that's lost in today's game? Because everybody brings their own caddy. And so the caddy is learning the course as much as the player is. And all the knowledge that that Jerry had or, or, you know, any of those other Augusta caddies that have become famous, you know, over the years, not taken advantage of, or do you see those guys maybe utilized early in the week to be teachers? Well, I think, I think where the young kids make a mistake, especially the ones coming there for the first time is not taking that local caddy, uh, whether it be one of the older guys or one of the young guys who are there every day. I mean, they they walk that course every day, every inch of that golf course. They get to see every day. There's a lot of knowledge there that uh, it takes probably two or three years to learn uh, just playing it because it's it's angles. You got to be in the angles. You got to have the spots in the greens. If not, you'll suffer all week long. Which is the toughest putt on on that golf course? I remember one again from my media round I didn't I, it wasn't my putt but it was one of my playing partners where not only was he putting away from the hole but the ball rolled away from the hole for 75 percent of its trip before finally taking that right you know angle that bank that slope and he missed it by like inches that's uh, not supposed to happen you know <laughs> <laughs> you're right yeah that's um and that's another thing that TV doesn't do the greens justice because of all the severe slopes and the, the speed of them. Uh, but there, you know, any, any putt that you have there is scary if you let it get to you. Uh, mm -hmm. I always remember Hubert Green telling me that uh, a three or four footer from short range has no break, especially on fast greens. And if you think about it, uh, you you aim at the hole when you fire it in there, it's not going to break much. So that's what on fast screens, that's what I always tried to do is be very aggressive with it. It's when you start doing these little tappy die things, it's usually when you're going to miss them. And how much, as you say, it it is the most prestigious piece of haberdashery in sport, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but how much does that have to, does a player have to put that out of his mind when he is coming down the stretch on Sunday? It, there's a lot of thinking that goes on in golf. A lot of it, not necessarily the most productive. And somewhere in the back of your mind, there's that, I could be a master's champion. If I do That's this what right. happened, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, those are demons. <laughs> Everybody's got demons in their background. So it's the guys who win or the guys who can kick those demons out. Kick them down the road, kick them back out to uh, Magnolia Lane there. But everybody has demons. Yeah. Out of today's generation of players, um, who impresses you the most? Who do you like to watch when you get a chance to watch some golf? 
Well, I got to, I'm going to be honest with you now. I don't watch golf anymore. Okay. I have, been, I have been retired now for what, five years. And I very seldom watch golf on TV. Uh, but uh, the Scotty Scheffler is pretty impressive right now. Well, I mean, the last couple of years, he's been impressive. Then you got Spieth, you got uh, Thomas. Oh, there's three or four of the young guys that are that are pretty impressive. Yeah. And, you know, they have uh, they have power. They have touch, imagination around the greens, which when I came out, uh, if you had power, well, then you had no imagination around how to chip around the greens. Uh, John Daly was probably the first to come out with hitting the long ball uh, that had a, an imagination around the greens and could and can make the ball talk around the greens. And that was a good putter, too. And uh, what do you look forward to most when you go back to Augusta every April? Oh, just seeing you guys. Yeah, I mean, I miss, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, uh, like I say, I've been retired. Do I miss the game? Not really. I don't. I miss the players. You know, I miss saying hi to, to my, I guess you would call my a second family out there. Mm -hmm. But I do miss saying uh, hi to them. But I get the chance there at Augusta to meet to see a bunch of them, and it's kind of it's kind of fun. You also mentioned early on in this in this conversation, you know, you not only did you have a couple of important wins, but you finished second a lot of times. Somebody sometimes a guy just had a better weekend than you. And I remember going across this actually a couple of weekends ago at the players championship as Scotty Shuffler was making a run there on Sunday and kind of looking up some of the past numbers at the players championship. And it struck me that you have the second lowest 72 hole score at <laughs> TPC Sawgrass. And the unfortunate thing is the guy that has the lower score did it the same year as you. <laughs> See, I wonder what's going What am I supposed to do? You know, it was Greg, uh, God love him. On the fifth hole, I'll tell you what he did on the fifth hole, and I just about died. He uh, blew a two-iron to the right of the green about 25 yards, and he's in he's in rough, and I guarantee it was a good foot deep, Bermuda rough. I'm thinking, well, you know, I would think I was like four or five shots down at the time. I said, I could pick up a couple shots here. Well, he blows this thing out on the back of the green and knocks the putt in from 60 feet, and he went, Walked up to me and he goes, it's been like this all week. I said, well, I'm just sitting back here and ride it out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of funny. I mean, shoot 20 under par and get beat by four. He shot 24 under par on that golf course. Unbelievable. And what do you week, do? And what do you do in that situation? I mean, you obviously want to play well, but you're hey, watching the best round ever. You know, when players get going like that and they're that hot, there's really not much you can do. I know I got, I got tired of saying nice shot, nice putt, nice shot, nice putt, you know, because, I mean, uh, he was hitting a lot of a lot of those. Uh, to shoot 24 under on that golf course, yeah, he had a lot of nice putts and a lot of nice shots. It was fun to be. It was fun to be there. You know, again, it was the excitement of the tournament because TPC always has huge crowds down there. and. Uh, it, it was fun to be involved in it. You know, it's something I'll never forget. Yeah. And, and as you said, sometimes it's just, it's a matter of putting yourself in it. And, you know, if somebody shoots better than you, all you got to do is 
tip your cap, right? Yeah, you shake their hands and said, I'll see you next week. That's what that's the way you do it, you know. <laughs> and we will see you this week at the Villages Golf Festival at Total Wine. Um Handing out and signing bottles of uh, Fuzzy's vodka, and uh, uh, we'll get a chance, hopefully, to share some more uh, memories. I know you will with with uh, the villagers; they still love you out here in Fuzzy. We we look forward to having you back in Florida's friendliest hometown late this week. We'll be there. We will be there. By golly, and looking forward to it. That is from twelve thirty to two thirty or something like that. I've just read it on the paper there. I was going to ask about that. Thanks for reading my mind, Fuzzy. You got it. You got it. Fuzzy, thanks. Yeah. Fuzzy, thanks again for uh, joining us on the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. Always great to, to have you with us. We'll see you late in the week. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the final segment on the Sports Podcast right afterwards. From high school heroes to softball to the latest on the Villages Fairways, the Daily Sun brings you the best in local sports. Stay informed with the nation's fastest growing newspaper in the nation's fastest growing community. Subscribe to the Village's Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. Final segment of the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. I'm Jeff Shane alongside Drew Schaltry again. And thanks once again to Fuzzy Zeller, always a great conversationalist. Thanks to him for joining us remotely for the guest segment of the podcast. And just to make sure that we've got it all clear for any of you that are interested, Fuzzy will be at Total Wine in Lady Lake from 12.30 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Thursday, signing bottles, chatting everybody up. So you get a chance to go out there and uh, uh, see a two-time major champion and uh, enjoy uh, his company. And again, great conversationalist. Uh, it doesn't have to be a podcast for him to strike up a conversation with anybody. There's also a second event and there are some seats available. There is a meet and greet luncheon at McGrady's down South that uh, is at 12 noon on Friday. And uh, it is a ticketed event. The tickets are $80. Uh, at last we'd heard they were still available. You would get those at McGrady's. So if you want to have a chance for an even longer meet and greet type session to spend some time with Fuzzy Zeller, check with McGrady's and see how many tickets are available. Obviously, when the seats are gone, the seats are gone, but Friday at noon. So a great chance for Fuzzy Zeller to visit the villages again. And uh, he was as you could tell from the uh, segment, he was really impressed uh, with just the way this community is. And uh, we were laughing even uh, afterward about uh, some of the uh, some of the, some of the antics with Dan Beaver and, and him. It was a great thing and uh, look forward to seeing him again. Let's turn our attention to soccer now. The uh, Villages SC, we talked about the fact that they have a new developmental team in the UPSL. They played their opening game Sunday night, and they played it against Nona FC, which has already gone through the process of establishing that developmental team. Drew, you were out there Sunday night. How did the, this game play out, and what did you see in terms of quality? Well, I, th- I think the first takeaway is that Nona is going to be a rival for the Villages in UPSL just like they are in USL League 2. I mean, these were two evenly matched teams, and the final score was 3-1, but that kind of, I think, undercuts how competitive that match really was. We can get into that in a second, but 
the connections are all there. I think the infrastructure is very similar. Nona obviously is a is a youth academy that now has UPSL and USL League Two. The Villages SC kind of went in the opposite direction or order really, where they were a youth academy and then had USL Two, and then just added the UPSL side as we've discussed. So a little bit different building strategy, but really sort of foundationally the same sort of program. High quality coaches, a lot of investment in youth and bringing in local youth and and developing that talent for higher levels of soccer. And so uh, the infrastructure, the philosophies are very similar, even the style of play to a certain extent. I think there are a lot of similarities, which is even funnier because one of the coaches for Nona, he's an assistant coach for the UPSL side. He's the head coach of the USL2 team is uh, Guillermo Henry, who is Yago Lopez's best friend since childhood. (laughs) So they grew up together. They've played soccer together since they were four. Now they coach about an hour apart in two different programs, developmental programs in Florida. So uh, kind of crazy how things work out like that. And the two of them were really funny too. I'll say on Sunday, they were <laughs> yelling back and forth at each other in Portuguese, all, all very much in good spirit. But uh, You know the, Portuguese? You know this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could read the body language a little bit, but uh, for a minute there, it had the, the fourth official a little bit nervous. <laughs> he's kind of in between them and he wasn't sure. And Yago had to walk over and be like, don't worry, he's my best friend since we were four. It's, it's fine. But yeah, a really good match. I was I was impressed with both teams. I thought that that both sides looked really good. Nona ends up getting the better of it. They score late in the first half, and it looks like they're going to take a 1-0 lead into the locker room. And then on the last touch of the first half, Alvaro Carrera makes a really, really impressive shot off a free kick there to send the Villages into the locker room level. And that was a big pickup. So before Nona even had a chance to make adjustments and, and kind of reset what they were doing with a lead they level it and that allows them to go into the second half fresh the difference really came in about the 73rd minute Nona gets another goal and a really really impressive shot this time just an absolute laser from outside the box goes into the back left corner of the net I mean really no chance for Andrew Muller to to get to that one and that was really what allowed Nona to now sit back, park the bus a little bit. They score another one off a counterattack because the Villages in the last 10 minutes you know, took out a, a defender, went three in the back, and tried to push to get that draw uh, or you know, possibly a win, I guess. But um, you know, just kind of opened themselves up in the back in an attempt to you know salvage some points out of that match and uh, expose them for that last goal. But yeah, really the difference was just a really tough, really impressive shot that allowed Nona to kind of sit back and and then control the game from there. So um, really even, like I said, through 75 minutes, it was back and forth. Either team could have won this so easily. And I think the biggest difference was just that the, the chances from outside the box from Nona were a little bit more dangerous. The Villages is, you know, working towards that. But, you know, things are still new over there on, uh, on 301 in Summerfield. Well, and you mentioned Andrew Mueller, the goalkeeper, and we talked off the air about how young this roster is for the UPSL side, including a handful of Villages High School alums. Yeah, we saw a couple of them in there. Well, not just alums, but current current. players. Yeah, Yeah. Andrew Miller, I believe, was the only alum who played in that game. Uh, Obviously now uh, college age, graduated in 2022. But we got to see Michael Florian in the starting lineup, Joel Hernandez in the starting lineup, Jason Globig came into the game for a little bit. So right there, that's a junior in Florian and two sophomores currently on the Village's high school team that played. I'm really afraid that I'm going to mess up his name here, but Aiden Kashmarski. Also 16 years old, he started at center back and played 
if not all 90 minutes, very close to all 90 minutes and was outstanding there on the back line. So, I mean, there's a lot of youth on this team that was always part of the idea of of building this UPSL program was to give the young players who are coming up, again, through the youth club, through the academy, through the Villages High School, an avenue to higher level soccer. So right away, they're already kind of fulfilling that mandate from Anderson De Silva. And I would suppose, too, I'll make a parallel to baseball. A lot of times in the minor leagues, sure, winning would be great. Championships would be great, but it's development of players that really takes priority, no matter what the result is, you're going to throw a pitcher out there and let him get his work in because that's what he needs more than necessarily you need another W in the standings. Is, is that kind of similar to what we're going to see at this level at UPSL? That is even more so than the USL League Two team, which that's, you know, their priority as well is developing mm-hmm. players and trying to get them to whatever level they're trying to reach. That is, it's even more obvious here with UPSL, especially in this first season. They want to contend, they want to compete, they want to win. You know, they hope that they can make the playoffs. Everybody is in this organization as a competitor. That's always going to be the case. But, you know, that's the main focus is saying, okay, we've got a bunch of young guys. We've got a bunch of guys who are in college that want to play at a higher level of college or a bunch of guys who are finishing up college who need a need just a little bit more to get them into USL League 2 or a low-level professional league. So we just need to get them some more work, develop them, bring them into our system, teach them the things that they need to get to that next step. And that's really what the focus is. And I think that the coaching staff with Daniel Cooper there, who, again, has been with the Villages SC for a while now, and then Yago Lopez, who I think understands better than maybe anyone around what it takes to go from amateur to college to borderline professional and he had offers that he turned down to stay with the villages SC and obviously now is moving into coaching but that's really the focus of the team and there's a really clear path for them to say okay you want to get to the next level we have the next level in-house it's USL League 2 if you're good enough to make the villages SC's USL League 2 roster you're good enough to play it a better place than wherever you're playing right now. So that's kind of the goal is to, you know, get them trained up, see them play against the USL League 2 players, hopefully push them for some spots, make it onto the 18-man roster, maybe even to a starting 11 at some point this season. And if those guys can do that, then those coaches will have done their job this season. You had also mentioned off-air that there was a warm-up act before the Nona Villages game. And uh, in terms of talent level, you were saying that the Villages SC, even though they've only had about five weeks of training together, uh, really stands up. They Okay, they got beat by Nona, but those other two teams, the talent level was probably lower than what we're seeing at the Villages SC. Yeah, I'm not going to you know throw, throw out the club names just because I don't want to... I don't know their situations. They may not sure. have been together very long either, but... You know, given given what I saw at about half of the second half of that game between two of the other clubs in uh, the Florida Central Conference, Nona and the Villages, I think, were far and away better than both. So they took a loss. They you know, kind of took it on the chin in the first round there, the Villages SC. But I think that what they'll face elsewhere in the in, in their conference, um, I think they'll be a little bit better off. Obviously, things are going to get easier for them the longer they work together. That chemistry is still growing. We saw them struggle a little bit with the combination passing in the final third. That's the kind of thing that just takes some time. You learn where guys like to receive the ball. You learn where guys can place the ball. You figure out you know more of how to develop a play with a group, things like that. So that's always one of the last things to come. And so I think that if that's the the one thing that they were really lacking in this last match, that's okay. So 
given what I think they'll be up against the rest of this season, I think they'll fare pretty well. And again, when uh, they get back home for their, their next home game, it is free admission games. The, uh, the stands aren't up yet. Won't be up until the USL two season starts. So you got to bring your own lawn chair, but an evening of entertainment. If you love soccer and you just love watching the game and maybe following some of these villages, high school players in their development away from the, the Buffalo proper. Some of these villages, high school players watch their development away from the high school and the club is where a lot of that development does come from. This would be a great opportunity to watch some of them and, and maybe uh, be able to follow them up the chain. For now, uh, this weekend, they are hitting the road. They are going to Orlando, sort of, <laughs> to play Atletico Orlando, but the site is in Haines City. Yeah, a little bit, little bit out of the way there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll let you know how it goes. I suppose uh, for, th- for that club, they need to just simply work their way up into Orlando proper, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking some uh, some liberties, I think, with the name when you play in Haines City and refer to yourselves as Orlando. Yeah, it's not like it's, you know, Longwood. Or... Right, I-, I think the cutoff has to be, you know, if you're not in Orange County, you have to at least be in Seminole or Osceola, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Polk Polk is, is out of the question, I think, to be considered Orlando. Well, Mr. Commissioner, I'm sure you'll bring that up at the next meeting. <laughs> And uh, maybe we'll get that all straightened out. Uh, That will do it for this edition of the Village's Daily Sun podcast. Thanks for joining us. So we talked a lot of golf, talked a a little bit of soccer here. And and, thanks to Fuzzy Zeller for sitting in and recording with us. And uh, if you get a chance to go out to Total Wine, you have a chance maybe to get one of those tickets at McGrady's. uh, Certainly take advantage of it. They they do come out to the Village's Florida's friendliest hometown, but uh, not all that frequently. So take advantage of the opportunity. Also this weekend, should mention it once again, Golf Festival, Thursday and Friday, across the Villages community. Uh, If you need a new set of clubs, if you need some new garb, need some new equipment, uh, go ahead and and bounce around from Palmer to Lopez to Bell Glade to Southern Oaks. Plenty of vendors uh, willing to talk to you and uh, sign up for one of those fitting sessions. It's going to be a, a busy weekend here in the Villages. Drew, thanks as always for sitting across from us. Thanks to Nick Feely for continuing to encourage us on this endeavor. And also a special thanks to Kurt Hills for not being in his office this week so that we could use it as a temporary recording studio because construction is uh, making it difficult in our usual place. So he doesn't know this yet, but thanks for letting us use your office. That'll do it. And thanks again to you uh, for downloading, whether it's Google Play, Spotify, whatever, liking us. That will do it for the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. We will see you next week. And until then, we'll see you out on the playing field.